This is Let's Talk Tribe, the official Let's Go Tribe podcast, episode 32, Joba the Great, recorded on May 19th, 2016. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Tribe, the official Let's Go Tribe podcast, with your hosts, me, Matt Lyons, and Jason Lucart. Jason, how are you? I'm good. Uh, the We're recording tonight while the Indians are playing, which is a rarity. So right now they're winning 7-2. to two. There's a potential for this whole podcast to go far south if something horrible happens in the last couple innings. It'll be great if we don't mention the score. We just get sadder as it goes on if they start losing. I'm almost going to feel bad posting the sweep gif if they win just because of how brutal these four games were. <laughs> yeah, so, the Reds are uh, the Reds are not a good baseball team. And they've got like a historically awful bullpen. I think their bullpen has given up a run in like 20-some straight games or something insane like that. And they've given 20 games worth of runs up in the last two. Pretty yes. much. So That part uh, I don't feel bad about. <laughs> So today we're going to talk about, obviously, the Twins series, which wasn't so great. The Red series, which was really great. Then we're going to have uh, Mike Clevenger's debut. You had a review of the arm. We're going to talk about that. Uh, Michael, Brantley, Michael Brantley on the disabled list. A couple players getting optioned. Jan Gomes living up to the Lucart curse, and he's all of a sudden great again. We'll have a short little preview of the Red Sox, and maybe talk about Believeland a little bit, and a couple social media questions. But the most important thing about today's show is we have a special guest with us. We have Phil Karras. He's another writer on Let's Go Tribe. I think he was on the older podcast, but he's a pretty frequent writer. He does recaps once a week, I still think, and news and notes. So, Phil, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, happy to have you here to talk Indians. I don't know if you have the game on in the background now, too, but <laughs> it'll be fun to kind of watch him win. Or not. Yeah. Now, if they don't win, I'm blaming you. <laughs> I'm not the one who jinxes and reverses everything. Well, nope. see, I respect my own power and then be careful with it. You're just throwing a lot around watching them win willy-nilly. Hey, my power is getting the Indians to sign third-base veterans. That's it. That's I told true. them to sign Juan Uribe. And, and your power gotten them to sign Juan Uribe looks like a brilliant use of your power at this point. You're welcome is what I'm saying. I'd love to figure out a way to claim some credit for Rajay Davis, but I can't. <laughs> yeah, well, I did say I wasn't super excited about signing him, so I guess I'm going to take credit for that, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I think he was on your first uh, Lemons of the Offseason post. He was. My, Mike Napoli, I was like, all right, but Davis wasn't doing anything for me, and well, so far, as usual, I look like an idiot. <laughs> I don't remember who, but somebody in the comments, I think it's uh, ZB, is keeping track of... He's basically just keeping track of the Lucart curse. Whoever you write about, they all of a sudden do good. And so far, it's real. <laughs> yeah, and he wrote. He just wrote before, like before the start of the Red series about how Rajay Davis was the only one who hasn't lived up to it. To the Lucart curse. Coming around. <laughs> Maybe there's like a secondary curse through ZB. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, these last two series, it seems like forever ago already. But the Twins, the Indians were one and two against them. They for some reason they can dominate the Tigers, but they can't beat the Twins. Although overall against the Twins and the Reds, I mean, most of this is lopsided because of the Reds series, but the Indians outscored in the last two series, not including tonight, of course, 47 to 29 altogether, which again, 28 of that comes from the last two games alone. Uh, on the good side of things, there was Lindor. He had 13 hits, three doubles and a home run. 
Chisholm Hall had a couple games back at the end there. Uh, he was three for six with two doubles. Uh, Rajai Davis, of course, like we just said, seven hits. He's had two home runs so far. Uh, he's added a couple other hits tonight, I think. And then Jan Gomes, uh, another beneficiary of the Lucart curse. He's gone six for 19, and he has three home runs in the past week. And on the bad side, uh, we were talking about it. We were just talking about it. Juan Uribe, two for 17, four strikeouts. And Mike Napoli, he's not doing great either. Uh, he kind of got hot, and then now he's cold all of a sudden again. Five for 24, 10 strikeouts. But he has walked a lot, so it hasn't been a total loss over there at first base. And he hasn't gotten the chance to just beat the Reds in the last game because of the wonderful NL rules. We got to watch pitchers hit instead of an actual hitter getting at bat uh, every ninth at bat. <laughs> Josh Tomlin has two hits tonight, including <laughs> a double. That's so they didn't have a DH tonight. <laughs> I guess probably. As Tom Hamilton has said, it's about 17 times. It's the first time since 1974 that an Indians pitcher has had two hits in a game. Wow. <laughs> I wouldn't mind just having him as a pinch hitter. You never know. Could be better than some of the bench options we've had. So, other than Josh Tomlin's double, what has stuck out? Uh, I guess I'll go Jason first, but between these last two series for you. Uh, well, at the moment, what's sticking out is Carlos Santana hitting two home runs tonight. Um, so, always excited to see him doing well. I mean, just watching the offense the last few days, I can hardly remember the Minnesota series anymore. Um, and I was pretty bummed by the end of the Minnesota so- series because... Because the Twins are a terrible ball club, and the Indians have now lost four games to them, uh, which is almost half the Twins' victories all season, and it's the second half of May. Um, but the last three and almost four games now against Cincinnati, uh, I mean, this is the, the offense has been absurd, uh, and you know it's nice to see so many guys batting wise jumping up. Um, you know, as you ran through it, I mean, so many guys who have had at least one or two good games in there. Um, Lindor looks like an MVP candidate right now. Um, you know, there's just a lot to like in the lineup that, and it's amazing. And you, I forget it all the time, but it's amazing, especially during the first quarter of the season, what one good series can do, you know, for the entire team's look. So you think Lindor is going to be, he's MVP caliber. Are you jumping on the all-star train yet? Are you still... He's going to be an all-star. He's not going to get voted into the starting lineup, though. And that has nothing to do with him not deserving to be in the starting (laughs) lineup. He's just not famous enough. And the Indians just don't have enough fans to overcome his lack of fame at this point. Uh, We never landed on what ridiculous thing I need to do if he is voted as the starter. But I'm still not worried about it. He's going to make the team. Uh, he's awesome. We're all going to love him for years and years to come, but he's still not going to get started into the voted into the all-star game this year. Not as a starter. So, uh, Phil, <laughs> what did you stick out from the first few games or the last few uh, games, I guess? Yeah. Sort of like Jason said, we, I've just been enjoying this pounding of the red so much that I can't even really remember the, the twin series all that well. But, uh, I guess the thing for me is I, I, I still can't really get a read on how good or bad our offense really is uh, for a number of reasons. I mean, neither the Twins or, or the Reds pitching staff is all that great. And we got kind of shut out by one and, and are dominating another. So I'd like to think that the offense sits somewhere in between those two extremes. But without, without solid Michael Brantley in the lineup, it's really hard for me to get a read on how this team is going to shake out in the long run. The pitching, I th- think, has been uh, down Carlos Carrasco in the rotation. The rotation is kind of just you know, held together with like 
chewing gum and sticks and twigs at this point. Um, but holding it together for the most part. But it's really the offense that I've been puzzling over because, you know, I don't know. Is is I mean, I don't think Rajay Davis is going to be this good for the rest of the year. Uh, but I don't know about people like Jan Gomes. Was he struggling at the beginning of the season and that's in the past now? Or, you know, was this series just a bit of an aberration? Uh, Mike Napoli, I don't know. I, I, I kind of feel about Mike Napoli the way I felt about Mark Reynolds back in, God, what was that, 2014? I think so. Where, no, I think it was 2013. 2013, where it's like, yeah, if you want to come in and hit a bunch of homers in April and May for us and you know keep us from being in the toilet by the end of June, that's cool. I don't really care if you do anything for the rest of the year. I think Mike Napoli's value is already above that because he's playing good defense too. But uh, yeah, other other than other than those guys, I think yeah, Lindor is an obvious, as Jason said, MVP candidate. Well, I don't know. That's that's strong, but definite all star. Uh, but I don't know if there are any other all stars on the Indians this year. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it because everybody's just going up and down so often. And the things with the Red Series, I mean, it's the kind of game you want to say, well, they're supposed to win these ones, but if they lost them, everybody would be saying, well, these are easy games, but they're going to come back to haunt them. So it's it's hard to know what to make when you beat a team this bad <laughs> and just beat one team uh, after struggling against the last one. We'll talk about the next series in a little bit, but the Indians have a really hellish schedule coming up. They play, they play the Red Sox and the White Sox and the Orioles. So I think next week we're going to know a lot more about this team than just watching them beat up on a historically bad bullpen. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned not knowing what to make of their offense. They, coming in today, they, they're they the second highest scoring team in runs per game in the American League. Uh, you know, So you look at that and it feels like, oh, that's a really good offense. Um, but you're right, so much of it has come in this series uh, that it's hard to know what to make of that. When you look at things like, you know, uh, weighted runs, graded plus, they grade out as sort of an average offense, which is more in line with what we sort of anticipated coming into the season. But I'll say this, the Indians have sort of underscored their peripherals uh, in a lot of recent seasons. So I'm I'm not going to feel guilty at all if they overscore their peripherals this season. I'll never, I'll never feel guilty about that. <laughs> <laughs> And neither of you, uh, Mike Clevenger's debut didn't stand out to anybody. I mean, I was a little no, happy. It, I spent a whole it, day not, writing about it. It was fine. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I was I was pleased to see him only walk one batter. Uh, that's that's a positive outcome. But otherwise, it's about what I expected out of a guy making his first start in the majors. Yeah, he it, started. About, I mean, what did he get through? When did the, when did he? Through the first three innings without giving up a run, three or four innings without giving up a run, something like that. Then he gave up the home run. Yeah, and that sort of prompted me to look up like which guys for the Indians have not not even a complete game shutout because that almost never happens, but just a shutout however many innings they lasted. And there've only been four guys in the last. I don't have the list in front of me anymore, but it's been like four guys going back to Louis Tiant in 1964. So since Louis Tiant over 50 years ago, only four guys. And it was like the least impressive group of Indians pitchers you could imagine. Like, I couldn't remember a couple of them. And then it was Cody Anderson uh, and someone else. And, like, Cody Anderson was maybe the most impressive of the four. And I was like, I kind of hope Clevenger gives up one run just because this is, like, (laughs) scary company to be keeping. He did have a little bit better company. If you notice that August Fagerstrom tweeted that all of Mike's uh, pitches, they looked really similar to Taiwan Walker. 
who's a pitcher who is he obviously probably has better stuff than Clevenger over the long run, but he's finally getting in together. But if Mike Clevenger can have that kind of stuff and actually control it, that could be maybe a little bit good. <laughs> the only thing going for um, Walker over Clevenger is spin rate a little bit, but that's just because Walker has such a good changeup. And I noticed watching Clevenger too um, when he was pitching against right-handed pitchers, he looked fine for the most part. But any kind of left-handed pitcher, he could not find the outside of the zone whatsoever. Everything was just sliding outside. I don't know what exactly was wrong. But when his curveball was working, it looked really good. That was his advertised. He was hitting like somewhere in 94, 95. Yeah, yeah I just like seeing prospects come up. So <laughs> I was a little bit excited about it. He was mixing speeds well, which yeah. is good to see too. But, you know, it's playing a team like the Reds. There's just so there's so many things you could say, yeah, on the one hand and yeah, on the other. Because, you know, you're playing in great American ballpark. So, you know, are the, are the home runs really indicative of, of how he's going to play in the future? But on the other hand, it's also the Reds. So it's like, I don't know, not not a lot that I can really personally read into that one outing. Oh yeah. There's never for one outing. And I mean, the bad thing about the reds is mainly their bullpen and their pitching. So it's not like it's a horrid offense, really. True, They're just kind of middle of the road, but it's not a bad team to start against, of course. And his first strikeout was Joey Votto. So you can't go wrong with that. (laughs) Um, So yeah. Anything else for the past few games you want to talk about? Uh, It's not really about the past few games in particular, but I was pointing out to someone in the game thread today that like, I haven't really heard anyone mention, but how good are the striped stirrup socks this year? <laughs> oh, they're amazing. <laughs> they're very good. That's, oh. that's the answer. Uh, uh, I don't remember who it was. Someone at Let's Go Tribe was complaining about them, and it felt like maybe a bannable offense because they're just, awesome. They, <laughs> Send me his name. He'll be gone. <laughs> <laughs> because that's that's an automatic 10-point increase to the jerseys. <laughs> Yeah, no, they look sharp in them. I remember when they Lindor in spring training was the first guy I saw wearing them, and I was like, oh, yeah, that, that needs to be the new regular look. And the Indians are very aware of how good they look, too. Their Twitter account is always, every time they come out, they're mentioning it. I guess they slowed down now, but at first. I don't know if, if it's worse to say the stirrups are bad or to say that the cream jerseys are good. It's, it's a toss-up for me. <laughs> Your hatred for the cream jerseys will never die. It, it'll yeah. never die until the cream jerseys die. I don't know, man. I don't hate them. I don't love them, but I don't hate them. Jeez, oh, I can't be outnumbered on that on the podcast. Outnumbered in like, not hating question. them, Cam. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I need to like vet people before they come on, ask them about the cream jersey, and if they say yes, I'll just close the chat window and walk away. Um, so the next thing is we had today. Jason posted a review of the arm, which I know Phil said you haven't read, and I have read about like thirty percent of it, which I'm loving it so far. But so mostly this is going to be Jason here. Uh, what did you think of Jeppesan's book, The Arm? Uh, I thought it was fantastic. Um, I read a decent amount of baseball books. Um, and a lot of them, this is going to sound snotty, but like occasionally I read baseball books that it's like, I feel like I could write better than that. I don't have the time or the wherewithal to like put a book together, and I don't have the access to do the interviews. But like the actual writing sometimes feels pretty clunky to me. Um, and besides, he's a really good writer, so I wasn't worried about that. Um, I was pretty confident I would like it going into it just because I knew I liked his writing and the subject material, you know, the content was really interesting to me. So for anyone who's not familiar, uh, the arm sort of examines, uh, the, uh, epidemic, if you want to use a, a serious word of, of arm injuries, specifically elbow ger- injuries leading, you know, the torn UCL that leads to Tommy John surgery. Um, and he, so he spent about three years kind of researching it. Um, he followed a couple of pitchers, Daniel Hudson and Todd Coffey, who 
Uh, we're both going to have to undergo the surgery and then follow them throughout the rehab and setbacks. Um, and then he also looked into all sorts of other stuff. So there's really interesting history of the surgery itself. Uh, you know, the surgeon who came up with it with, you know, uh, all-star pitcher, Tommy John. Um, and then there's just all these sort of other interesting vignettes of, you know, things he kind of dug into. Um, so Matt, I don't know which all of those are in the first 30% at this point. Um, so I'm not sure which ones you've read. Um, but it's just filled with really interesting stories, uh, that I think any baseball fan would be interested in. And then as an Indians fan, not only because the Indians, if anything, have even more Tommy John pitchers than a lot of teams, uh, Clevenger, who we talked about, uh, Salazar's had it, Carrasco's had it, uh, Tomlin's had it. Joba Chamberlain's had it, um, and there's probably one or there might be one or two other guys I'm, I'm overlooking right now. Uh, and then the other thing is Trevor Bauer, who hasn't had it, um, but he's actually pretty prominently featured in one of the later sections of the book. So there's a lot for Indians fans, um, although I think anyone who's interested in baseball would really enjoy reading it. Yeah, um, that part with Todd Coffey, that, that is in the first, it's one of the first couple chapters, I think. And the type of baseball books I normally like reading are like, the kind where they sort of follow a player. Mostly it's the ones that are like in the minors that don't make it to the majors. I just love that whole, the minor league atmosphere. But it was kind of that kind of feeling with Todd Coffey because you're following him sort of off the field as he was struggling. It wasn't reading about a major, major league at the top of his game or anything. And it was just kind of neat seeing all the little details about him going through the surgery. Like I remember he didn't want, because another thing Jeff does is he explains how they actually do the surgery. Like they take another tendon and they just tie it in there to the, what is it, elbow joint. But Todd Coffey didn't want one from a cadaver. He didn't want to, I think his exact quote was, don't give me part of a dead guy. <laughs> so they ended up like taking part, or they tried taking part of, I think, oh, another tendon. Your wrist either... and your, I think your wrists and ankles can both right. have Yeah, they tried tendon. the ankle. Yeah. Coffey had already had Tommy John surgery, so one of his tendons was already gone. Uh, and then they, they went in to look at the other ones, and they just weren't, uh, I guess, like strong enough or thick enough. Yeah, they were like. Um, so I mean, they actually, like, so sort funny. of cut into them all over the place to check these other uh, tendons out, but couldn't use them. Right. Yeah, that was the thing that. It just those kind of little details that Jeff gets into is really great. And another thing was just hearing about like the kind of stress that that one ligament and everything gets. The way Jeff describes everything in a pitch, going from momentum, like building it up through your legs up to your arm, is really interesting too. Even that's not specific to John, Tommy John stuff, but just everything in the book is so interesting so far, and I can't finish. I can't wait to finish it. Yeah, well, like you, one of the things I mentioned in writing about it today is that I, as fans, I, I think, and I do this too, whether it's Tommy John surgery or any serious injury, um, you know, you're you're freaked out when you hear about it. You're bummed that your team's going to be missing a good player, um, and then occasionally you get the updates and you kind of wonder when are they going to be back. But it's really easy to just kind of put them out of your mind for the whole time. And I think most fans tend to, I mean, you sort of, you look at them as these star athletes who, you know, play for your team or play against your team. Um, and I do think because they have sort of this incredible life that so many of us, you know, dream of having or dreamt of having at one point, um, that I do think it's easy to sort of overlook that, like, these are actual people, uh, both for better and for worse. And so I, one of the things I think the book is really good at, and this is really a credit as much as it is to Jeff, um, to, to, to Coffee and Daniel Hudson for giving them the access. I mean, you really get a look at how grueling, uh, both physically and mentally, the rehab process is. 
Um, and so those kind of details that, you know, throughout the book, because he'll, he writes about them for a while and then he tells you about the history of the surgery and then he goes back to the two of them and then he writes about Japanese baseball and he keeps coming back to them. Uh, and you do get a much better sense of, um, what a big deal it is to have something like that. You know, the success rate for coming back is pretty good these days. And so fans also kind of sort of take it for granted. But for these guys, like this is their life. It's their livelihood. It's what they, you know, what they care about. Um, and there's a very real fear that they're, you know, that they're never really going to be the same. Yeah, it's that kind of off the field stuff. It's the same reason why I like the minor league books. I'm never going to relate to a pitcher on the mound throwing 97 miles an hour, but hearing about one of them just off the field calling his wife talking about the surgery, it's just really relatable. And he did it, he did a really good job of getting that through in the book, I think. Yeah, I agree. And then those, I mean, the side vignettes to me were really interesting too. The one about uh, youth baseball here in the U.S., um, which has sort of become a huge business. And baseball is really a year-round sport for people who are serious about it now, which didn't used to be the case, not even that long ago. But, uh, you know, youth sports is so much more specialized. I think, you know, when, when we were kids, kids who liked sports kind of played everything. And you, you played each thing in its season. And, you know, you maybe had a favorite sport you played a little bit more out of season. Um, but now, and I know this, you know, from being a teacher too, I mean, kids who are into baseball, they play, they have like indoor baseball leagues. And I live, you know, I live in like Chicago. It's not like they're playing outside, but they have facilities where you can play baseball 365 days a year and these travel tournaments all over the place. And so, I mean, kids who are pitching in that, even if they're only pitching X number of innings or throwing X number of pitches a day or a week, they're playing, you know, 50 weeks of baseball a year instead of 20. Um, and so he gets into how, you know, that's leading to the rise in injuries. I think it's also leading to baseball sort of becoming a rich kid sport, which I think is a shame. Um, but in terms of going to these big, you know, tournaments and stuff like that, it's, it's not just like 15 neighborhood kids on a team anymore. Yeah, he followed around one kid in particular who... I think he pitched multiple games. He started just in one day in one of these tournaments. And you said in a quote in your review that per, I think it was perfect game has turned the little league into just big cash cow instead of just kids playing. It's just like a big money grabber now, like college has turned into pretty much. Except yeah, it's and just there's like kids quotes, you know, from coaches who were like, oh, well, I asked him how his arm felt and he said it felt fine. It's like, you can't, you can't ask an 11 year old how his arm feels and expect like that's just not like the culture of American sports that a kid is going to admit that his arm was really sore and he doesn't think he should go back out there. If you ask, and the same is true of major league players, like and who are grownups, you ask someone, Oh, can you give me another inning? There are 99% of them are going to say yes, whether they should or not. And so like the idea that these kids are making their own decisions and, you know, the coaches are using that for their cover when, you know, a 12 year old, either can't play baseball anymore or has to have arm surgery. It's pretty absurd. He has a son who I think when he started the book, I think was maybe five and had just sort of fallen in love with baseball and, you know, wanted to play catch all the time. And, and so he was already starting to think about that, like for his own kid. And that's what made him want to learn more about it. Um, so I think that gave the section on youth baseball sort of some extra heft. He even mentioned that there were like scouts at like eight year old games just trying to find the kids that they could follow as early as possible. It was insane. <laughs> you should not be looking at people when they're nine and ten to try to imagine them as an adult. That's a, that's a bad idea. <laughs> I don't think you can project that. I don't know how advanced they're going there, but just maybe it's not possible. So, any other thoughts on the book, Jason? 
Oh, I mean, but again, I just, I think anyone, uh, you know, who's interested in baseball, pitching especially, I didn't even really mention the Trevor Bauer section, but there's a lot on kind of people are doing to try to avoid injuries. And, uh, you know, Trevor Bauer, I think most Indians fans know, has kind of some uh, unique routines uh, that in some cases have rubbed other people the wrong way. And so you get kind of a look at him. Uh, and so, but Indians fan or not, I think anyone who's into baseball would really enjoy reading the arm. Uh, and it's, it's worth tracking down a copy this year. It's a really easy read. It's on Amazon. It's everywhere. I'll throw a link in the podcast notes too. So uh, you mentioned that kids, they'll sometimes say that they don't want to be pulled out even though they should. So speaking of that, we have Michael Brantley, who apparently his shoulder was not as great as we thought it was. Um, his first, when he was coming up from the DL the first time, the reason he didn't come up right away, or he like played as a DH then sat, was because the shoulder was not healing after a game the way it should. But either way, he just kept playing through it. And then on Tuesday, he received anti, or he went on the disabled list. I think it was last week. It was a few days ago. And then just this Tuesday, he had an anti-inflammatory shot in his shoulder. The good news is, it's not going to be another surgery or anything. Uh, he just has what's called a subacromial pig impingement, which basically means there's a tendon in his shoulder and... It's either in this case, it was probably swelling and pushing the bursa sac up against the top of his shoulder and causing pain, which is just more annoying than anything, I guess. He's still gonna have to rehab it. He's got, um, he's continuing his regular rehab program. He got the anti-inflammatory shot. He just can't play with it. Uh, still no timetable for his return. But again, the good news is there's not gonna be a surgery. So, Phil, uh, how worried are you? Uh, I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't know much about the medical side of uh, side of things, but I always. I actually tend to get a little more worried when I hear, oh, there's not going to be a surgery. It'll be fine. Um, because I always think of Grady Sizemore. <laughs> oh, don't say it out loud. I, I know. <laughs> I, it's, it's, well, you know, may, maybe maybe there's there's a Karis curse in the works. But <laughs> how many times have we heard, oh, oh you know, Grady's Grady surgery. Grady doesn't need surgery. He'll be fine. But granted, that was a much, much different kind of injury. So... I don't know. I'm not incredibly worried, but I'm also conditioning myself not to expect too much from Brantley when he returns. Um, and I think going back to a little bit of what we talked about to start off the the show, I, I, it's really good to see this uh, offensive outburst, even if it is against the Reds, uh, because it shows that we can we can still be a functioning offense without Michael Brantley. Now, obviously. Uh, will be a little bit tested a little bit more against uh, the likes of David Price and Chris Sale, um, but I, I, I don't I don't really know I don't really know what to make of it. Yeah, even just a year ago with Brantley with everybody, it was just an atrocious offense. But I think Jose Ramirez is the, probably the biggest factor in that that we've just plugged him in left field every day. Just imagine if he wasn't there <laughs> or if he wasn't playing well, it would just be Marlon Bird hitting a slump every few days over in left field instead of Jose Ramirez kicking his helmet everywhere. So what about you, Jason? Yeah, I mean, I'm certainly more nervous than I was on opening day. Um, you know, I don't know that I'm less concerned than I would be if they said he needed some sort of minor operation. I'm just concerned in a different way because um, it doesn't sound that different than what they said before, and then he came back and it didn't go very well. Um so I sort of want them to say, like, he's ready to come back and then wait, like, another two weeks before actually letting him come back because having him at 100% is so much more important to me than having him just back, period. 
especially given that he also had the setback in spring training too. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I guess I'm glad that, you know, it's not more, I mean, I'm glad that it's not like season ending surgery, of course. Um, but yeah, I, I want them to say he's ready and then say, we're going to wait anyway. Uh, and who knows if that would even help. I certainly don't know if that would even help, but <laughs> mentally somehow it feels like, Oh, it must help if they keep him out longer than they think they need to. Um, cause yeah, I, the outfield without him, like you said, Ramirez is, is been a better fill in than I sort of expected. And the lineup has other guys hitting well. So I don't think it's a bad offense without Brantley, but he's obviously a big difference maker if he's healthy. So I don't know. I'm like a, if I was like a four of concern on opening day, I'm maybe like a, a six now. I don't know. Is that that's serious? Great. I guess that's above average. That That's above middle concern. That sounds about right. <laughs> Since somebody already let the Grady Sizemore comparison out of the bag, if we want to take that <laughs> and then, because, I mean, I don't think this injury is going to sink. I mean, if we're going to take the Grady Sizemore comparison and go with a completely cold-hearted front office look at it, I don't think this move is going to sink the organization like Grady Sizemore's injury did. I mean, first of all, as much as we love Brantley, he's no peak Grady Sizemore of what he could have been. But this way it's going to hurt no matter what if he's out. But, I mean, next year there could be Fraser and or Zimmer coming up, and they have Naquin. Who knows Who knows what he's going to be still. But And the Indians have a team option after next season. So at the most, if he's injured and not playing well, he's going to be a drag on the team payroll for a year because obviously they won't pick up. I think it's like $12 million with a $1 million buyout for 2018. So obviously they wouldn't pick that up. But if we're just looking at the cold-hearted approach and assuming the worst, I don't think it's the end of the world if this is the end of really good Brantley. I hope it's not, obviously, of course. But if it is, I don't think this is quite Grady Sizemore level of catastrophe. For the organization, for Brantley, it obviously it is. If this is going to be a lingering issue for a long time for him. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, for the reasons you said, he's not as good as Sizemore was, and there's not that you know that much contract left. Um, and I'm at the point where I'm worried about him, like, you know, 2017 or anything like that. Um but yeah, I mean, it, it seems like they feel like two weeks from now he'll be back. And, and I guess I'm like, as I've already said twice, just <laughs> give it an extra two weeks then. I mean, especially if you keep hitting the way that we've been, there's no there's no need to rush him back. Right. Yeah, and like Matt said, I mean, the, the pitching's about to get a lot tougher than it, you know, it is against Minnesota right. and Cincinnati. Um, but yeah, I mean, him, whatever equation you'd put together... If waiting an extra two weeks gets him at 100%, that's much more valuable to the team than, you know, Brantley at 80% for two weeks and then missing a week. The rest of, you know, that pattern repeating the rest of the year is going to be. So I like to imagine that Peter Gammons is just somewhere in the corner of his house in an armchair just swirling a drink. And he's he printed out all the, twi- all the tweets of people making fun of him for messing up on live TV and saying that Brantley would be out until... Like August, the closer we get to that, the closer he looks right, which is kind of terrifying. Although I don't think even if it ends up being that, I still think he misspoke somewhere because it doesn't seem like this was anything wrong with the surgery. It was just a complication afterwards. But it looks like Gammons might be right that he might be out until I think his exact thing was after the All Star break until like August or something. We're getting closer to that. We're He's back before then at one hundred percent, and hopefully in the meantime the Indians keep hitting the bejesus in the ball without him. <laughs> Exactly. That's what we all want anyway. Um, yeah. So moving on, um, sort of injury related, I guess. Uh, Cody Anderson, he was, what was he? Oh, right. He was optioned to make room for Chisinau, who was coming off the bereavement list. Uh, and then Tyler Naquin, a couple days later, he was optioned to make room for Clevenger's debut. Are these the two players you guys wanted? 
Uh, I think Cody Anderson makes the most sense. Although that was kind of like for Nate or for Clevenger, basically. But I like the idea of Naquin being, I don't like it, but I'm fine with the idea of Naquin being optioned over like Michael Martinez because the way they're setting it up is Jose Ramirez is going to play in left field every day. And then Martinez takes over that infield utility role because Naquin can't be much more than a center fielder. Um, And I think the thing we said before still applies last week or the week before about the fact that the Indians are kind of saving Naquin from himself and the fans when eventually his like 480 bat bit starts to collapse. So it's going to be good for him. He can go down to AAA again and work on his approach more. I don't think he drew more than like one or two walks when he was up. Um, so what do you guys think of Anderson and Naquin going down? Yeah, no, I think it's a good move. Uh, like you said, Matt, to keep him, keep Naquin down there and getting him, getting him regular at bats in AAA. Uh, he certainly wasn't showing, showing me anything on the defensive end that would have made him uh, worth keeping around for now. Uh, and I think it's the kind of, kind of situation where we can definitely it, it, it's not a it's not a dire need right now and uh, I agree with you on Michael Martinez it's better better to be able to have that uh, that versatility in the infield right now uh, especially with the way uh, Jose Ramirez has been surprisingly adequate in the outfield yeah like he, he's just been surprisingly I mean between him and and Lonnie Chisenhall like I, I can't quite understand how that has happened um <laughs> But I'm kind of happy. I'm happy that it's worked out. <laughs> like I wouldn't have wouldn't have uh, foreseen either of them in the outfield or doing well in the outfield. Certainly. And with, you said uh, you mentioned the defense with Naquin. I think that's probably a big thing. The fact that he hasn't looked great on defense. Because um, I mean, if he was hitting this well, even if it was unsustainable, and he was playing good in defense, I would think you'd leave him up just to let him work on it and still have some value in the outfield. But I guess I don't. I didn't notice anything particularly that looked bad, but I've heard he's looked bad, and I guess his stats aren't great in center field. I just think he doesn't take great routes to the ball, and he doesn't have the athleticism to outrun his bad reads <laughs> the way uh, a Grady Sizemore does, did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then that was kind of the thing in, I mean, in the minors, that's what we thought that he was, was a really speedy outfielder, but it just hasn't really panned out in the majors so far. So what do you think, Jason? Yeah, I mean, same thing. Cody and uh, Anderson need to go down. We need to not see him pitching for the Indians uh, for a while. Um, you know, the, the the positive reports about velocity and spring training and stuff like that, uh, I, I was wrong to think it mattered because, boy, it didn't. And he just looks <laughs> incredibly hittable. Um, so... You know, I, two years ago, Anderson wasn't someone I viewed as someone who was, you know, likely to be anything better than a passable fifth starter. Um, and then, you know, you sort of, I sort of let myself get talked into maybe him being more than that. Um, and now I'm more like, no, I was probably right before. Uh, and, you know, if I'm, if I'm wrong later, so be it. But I, he needs to not be on the roster right now. Um, when we talked a week ago, we said, Got to give him one more start, and if that goes okay, give him another start. Uh, but the, the the one start was plenty bad enough to justify <laughs> um, having him back in Columbus. And yeah. Naquin, yeah, I don't think it's a big difference sending him or whoever else I might have sent down. Um, I'd be fine if he were still on the roster, and I'm fine with him and you know back in Columbus too. So I didn't have this on the on the rundown there, but um, on Monday there's going to be a doubleheader. Do you think it'll be Anderson coming back up? Or do you think it'll I be don't think it Aaron? should be. <laughs> so should and will, I think, are two different things in this case. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I thought it would be Ryan Merritt, not Clevenger to begin with. I guess I'd, I'd still go with Merritt. Um, 
I just, I mean, right now, there's there's just been nothing about Anderson's last however many starts that inspire any confidence in me. And if the Indians can, you know, go out and score nine runs, and maybe it won't matter. You can you can paper over a lot of mistakes with nine runs. If it were my decision, it wouldn't be Anderson. Yeah, that's where I am too. I don't think I'm going to dedicate dedicate a whole day to Ryan Merritt, but I would I think it'd be rather see him in a doubleheader. I think it'd be exciting. The other option, I guess, would be T.J. House because he just pitched, so he'll be on like a day extra rest, maybe full rest. But he looked awful yesterday. He got ejected after, I think, two innings for arguing a call, I believe, after he was take- he was already out of the game, and then he got ejected. So I guess he was yelling at an ump on his way out or something. But he looked really bad yesterday. Uh, what about you, Phil? Who do you think it'll be, or who do you want it to be, I guess? Yeah, I mean, not Cody Anderson. Um, <laughs> you know, who are the probables? Who's the... Sorry, who are the who is the White Sox probable for that second game of the doubleheader? I'm not sure offhand. I haven't looked at how the pitching. Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing is lined up for that series for either team yet. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it depends on that. If it's somebody we can <laughs> score nine runs off of, <laughs> then yeah, I guess uh, I'm fine with Anderson. But uh, I haven't. I'll be honest. I haven't followed much of uh, much of merit in the in the minors this year. So. Um, I'll defer to yours and Jason's expertise on that. Uh, I, I'm happy to see anybody, aside from Cody Anderson, <laughs> pitch another game. Yeah, the book on Merritt is basically he's he's actually kind of like another mini Cody Anderson. He strikes out maybe a few more guys, but he doesn't walk anybody. So that's why I don't think he's going to be like spectacular either. But I'd still rather see him, I think. And right now there's nobody listed for either team, so they don't know yet. So I guess we'll find out closer. They might. The Indians might know, just... It's in the rotation for the White Sox. If nothing changed, it would be Matt Latos, but that is certainly not set in stone. That's just counting by fives, basically. I think either way, I'd rather have Merritt just to see what he is other than we know what Anderson is. It's going to be four or five runs guaranteed. I will interject. I will interrupt this for a moment just to point out that, as you guys have probably already noticed, the Indians have officially won 7-2. to two. Josh Tomlin is now officially 6-0, and oh, uh, and the Indians are 21-7. and seven. They're high water mark for quite some time. They've been three games above 500 since 2014. Yep, last day of the season. <laughs> so now they're four games up. Uh, what's really in... By myself, I freak out when they have a series like the Twins. Like, I get really bummed out about it and frustrated with the team. And, man, they're terrible. And I tell my wife how much they suck. (laughs) She just tries to ignore it and blank it out. Because I know better uh, (laughs) than to, like, freak out over one series. But, obviously, a lot of people either don't know better or just can't control their, their frustration. And so it was really interesting to see, you know, like, Monday at Let's Go Tribe, multiple conversations in the comments about like it's time to give up on the season this team is no good and yada 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 and if the season ended right now the indians would be in the wild card game and if the season ended right now uh the indians would be two games out of first place in the division so for all of people's moaning and groaning uh the indians right now are a postseason team the white Sox have lost four games in a row while the indians have won four games in a row um so what looked like a big gap coming into the week is now it could be wiped out before the two teams even play next week and could certainly be wiped out if the Indians can win three or four in that series. And for what it's worth, that last day in 2014, the Indians were 85 and 77. So they still have a while before we're touching new territory with wins over 500. And what's kind of cool is no matter what happens in this Boston series, even if they get swept, they're still going to be over 500. I can't remember the last time that's happened. <laughs> but 
no matter what, because they're four games up. So either way, going up against the White Sox, I mean, I'd rather win a couple against the Red Sox before we do that, but it'll be a good couple series, I think. I'm hoping by then the White Sox are crashing down and they're well, missing their 14 like might be already. <laughs> That's right, so yeah. I'm just hoping it continues. I just I couldn't see the White Sox being that good sustainably for for the course of the season, but I don't know. I, I've been saying that about the Royals for the past five years. So, <laughs> yeah. well, they're missing their glue. Their fourteen-year-old leader Drake Loach. So, see, I think early in the season they were playing really well, like you know, and and it was for Drake. But now you can only play for someone else so long. So it might be time for them to bring Drake LaRoche back. <laughs> Or maybe he was just like sneaking into the clubhouse, but now it's almost summer break. He's like, you know what, guys? I just want to go. <laughs> I want to go do other stuff for a little bit. Apparently, summer break wasn't an issue for him. It sounded like he attended school about one out of every three weeks during the baseball season. <laughs> we're never going to let this go. We're going to be like 2017 and 2018. <laughs> and I am thrilled that we're not. Okay, so anything else? Um, next, we're going to look ahead. So anything else from the week behind that stood out to you guys at all? No, Not I, for I, me. I mean, again, everything we've already said, the series against the Reds has been incredibly satisfying, uh, and the Indians are back to looking like a good team, a proper contender, uh, and hopefully they don't fall on their asses against Boston and Chicago the next week. Yeah, what about you, Phil? Yeah, I'll echo what Jason said about the uh, – I was, I was pretty down in the dumps after the twin series, so this uh, – Four games against the Reds was exactly what we needed to, to get me back on par. I think uh, every, every year, um, Brad Brad D., one of the regular commenters on LGT, uh, him and I have like, every May it's sort of like, are you ready to give up on the team yet? And, <laughs> you know, yes, no. Uh, I, I just, there's no accounting for in, in like ingrained pessimism. And after that twin series, I was just, just not happy. But, uh, I'm looking forward. I've been, I, I've been, I've conditioned a friend of mine, a friend of my wife's from Calgary. Now he, he, he's a, he's a nomad. He has no team because he's from Calgary and he's, he was previously a Red Sox fan. And after he came to our wedding in Cleveland, he's now, you know, he's fully on board with Cleveland sports. So I'm looking forward to, uh, to grinding that last bit of Red Sox fandom out of him over the course <laughs> of this, uh, next series. I think a nice three game sweep would do that. Oh yeah, that last little bit out of there. <laughs> so uh, looking ahead to that series, um, Red Sox—they're a little bit better than the Reds, I guess. They're twenty-five and sixteen, second in the AL East. Uh, the last series, they were one and three against the Royals, or was it one and two? I might have written that down wrong, but they had a doubleheader because of a rainout. Um, they are first in offense in WRC plus in the AL. They're fifth in home runs, first in on base percentage, first in on slugging. So it's not quite the Reds team again. Uh, their pitching is a little more middle of the road, but they do have David Price, who's kind of having like a Corey Kluber-esque season, where his FIP is really low, but his ERA is like one of the highest in the league at this point, I think. Uh, the Red Sox, they have Xander Bogarts, who if anybody, I guess, is going to get voted over Francisco Lindor in the, <laughs> in the shortstop, it'll be him. Um, he's already worth 2.3 war, according to Fangraphs. Um, and then the matchups, it's going to be Corey Kluber on the first day against Clay Buchholz, uh, Trevor Bauer on Saturday, no opponent listed for him yet. And Danny Salazar and Rick Barcelo finishing up on Sunday. So, Phil, what do you think of this series? Do you think, is this going to be a sweep? Are we going to be depressed after it? Is Corey Kluber going to get any run support? And are people going to freak out if Corey Kluber isn't perfect? <laughs> Can I say yes to all those things? <laughs> yes. Um, all perfectly valid. You know, 
I think it all it all starts it all starts with Trevor Bauer's performance. If he can show a little bit of the spark that he's shown, <laughs> I mean, at at certain points of certain games this season, uh, it'd be really good to take that first game because I can never. I don't know. I can't remember the last time we've lost the first game in a series to the Red Sox and ended up winning the series. Uh, I, or maybe it's just that the 2007 ALCS sticks in my head. <laughs> That's probably it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see, like we were saying, you, you know, how the, how the Indians actually, how this offense uh, now stacks up to a better pitching staff than the ones we've faced recently. Um price you can never even even with the high era like can't count him out and um we i can't recall did we we beat up on price a couple of times uh when he was with the blue jays didn't we yeah and or the rays i mean they've definitely had good games against price in recent years i'm sure they've gotten dominated by him once or twice too but you're right they've definitely gotten to him at least a couple times of course, the team's team's so different now than even it was a couple of years ago that it, I don't know how meaningful of a comparison that is. But um, yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, I, I I really am am pulling for. I, I don't know. I've always been pulling for Trevor Bauer. He went to UCLA. I watched him pitch there when I was there, and he's sort of like he'll always be that guy I kind of stubbornly cling to uh, in hopes that he'll be a superstar one day. So I'm looking for for a good performance from him tomorrow or not tomorrow on Saturday. What am I talking about? Kluber's Sorry. tomorrow against Buckles. No yes, problem. <laughs> so take back everything I said about winning the first game. No, well, it still I, applies it, to the second game. Still, yeah, still. But um, yeah, and um, yeah, the the preposition of getting good Bauer or bad Bauer is always terrifying. <laughs> Last year, a little more than this year. I think he's been okay as a starter this year. He's been he's still walking too many, giving up too many hits, but he's been able to get out of his own jams, which is something he hasn't been able to do in the past. So. Austin has by far the best offense in baseball right now. So, I mean, that's – it's going to be a, a tough series for – I mean, for Kluber and Salazar, too. That's that's a tall order. Um, but they've got a lot of power. They've got a lot of patience. Um, I, I mean, if, if, if you offered me, you know, six innings and three runs from Bauer on Saturday, I, I would snap it up immediately. Oh, yeah, that's an um, excellent alley. I would do backflips for that, yeah. I, like – and yeah, and so I, I feel like uh, you know, without putting a whole lot of emphasis on any one start for for any pitcher, um, but this is going to be a, a tall order for Bauer, given uh, you know that the bad inning and you know occasional bouts of walking a lot of guys and also sometimes giving up really big home runs. Uh, Boston right now, so far this season, I mentioned the Indians are second in the American League in, in runs per game. Boston's the one team ahead of them, and Boston's a full run per game ahead of them. Um, so, they're I mean, they're crushing the ball right now. Uh, all of their runs so two games. <laughs> the Indians scored at least seven runs all four games against Cincinnati uh, and would have won two of those games if they'd only scored one, or, you know, two or three runs. Uh, they might need to score seven or eight runs to win uh, any of the games in Boston. Um, and and Kluber, if he if he is not good tomorrow, that's I think two because he was good the started before the last one. But this will be like two of the last three of the last four starts would have not been very good. So if he's not good tomorrow, I know you said before you're not worried at all, Jason. Do you start worrying yet, or or I guess when do you start worrying if you're not if it's another bad outing tomorrow? 
When other people worried at the beginning of the year, I didn't worry because watching him, you know, I felt like he looked pretty good in, in two of those first three games. Uh, you know, one of those was the game where uh, Davis lost a couple fly balls in the sun and there were charges, earned runs, which makes his, his, his line look bad. Um, and then he was really good for, for uh, his next three starts, including the shutout of Detroit. Uh, and like you said, his last two starts, again, especially the one against Houston, which was really short, um, he's walked more guys in those starts. So, I mean, if he, you know, if he, if he has a bad start, I'd be more concerned now than I was coming, you know, a month ago when a lot of other people were concerned. Um, but I still wouldn't be concerned, concerned. I would need like another three, you know, pretty shaky starts before I think I, I would move myself into the concerned camp. That's fair. What about you, Phil? Yeah, I'm with Jason on that. I think the first couple starts, uh, I feel like I don't know. I never like to I never like to blame umpiring, but I feel like he was getting squeezed pretty hard in some of those starts, and uh, as usual, not getting a ton of run support. So I, I wasn't too worried then. I think I think it'd be fewer than three more bad starts before I start to actually worry. I mean, another one or two would would get me on the worry train. But then again, I'm I'm more more prone to worrying than than maybe most um i don't know he's started the past past couple years off off this way and usually comes around but it's getting to the point in the season where you can't really you can't really keep having starts like that and 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 brush it off like he needs to we need to we need to get back the kluber that we that we know was there well i think jason mentioned before that we're probably never going to get 2014 kluber but even 2015 kluber i think at this point would be acceptable but even if he isn't good tomorrow, like we were just talking about how great the Boston offense is, similar to how we're kind of on mixed feelings about how to feel about the offense against the Reds, I would be sort of like that with Kluber. If he gets pounded by a great offense, okay, it happens. He can rebound the week after that. But like you guys said, two or three more starts is what I'm going to start worrying about. That seems reasonable. Yeah. So uh, moving on, did either of you guys see Believeland? The ESPN 30 for 30 documentary aired early this week, I believe. I have not. Uh, and in part, I have not because uh, I'm not a Cavs or Browns fan, so I can't claim to have been agonized by uh, a full 100% of the trauma in it. So I'm sure I will watch it at some point. Um, I read Joe Posnanski, who, in addition to being a fantastic writer, is a Cleveland guy. Uh, and he wrote about it, and I read what he wrote about it, and he had some pretty interesting stuff to say. Uh, one of which... And I think this is true. And even just as an Indians fan, I identify with this. Um, is he talks about how sort of I don't know if competitive is quite the right word, but competitive fans can get about their suffering. You know that like when you hear a, a couple weeks ago the Giants were losing a game, and like Giants people in my Twitter feed were complaining, and it was like, shut up, you guys have won <laughs> three World Series. Like I had. Just no one wants to hear you complain about anything right now. And uh, and but so he was talking about that. Like, like sometimes I think, you know, you, you hold on to the suffering because the suffering is what you have. And so like that's what you've got. And so you'd like to believe that at least your suffering has been more dramatic than anyone else's suffering. But I really don't see how any city in American sports can argue that they've got more than Cleveland. Yeah. And it, it focused, I mean, if you aren't a Cavs or Browns fan, you didn't miss a whole lot because like Cleveland radio, it was all Browns. <laughs> there was, a, they, they focused on like the drive, all that. And then moving to Baltimore, obviously, which is big for the city, I guess. So that's fair. But like 
70% of it was just Browns. And they just kind of skimmed over the Indians at the beginning. They were just going through like the big group of heartache that the, the Cavs were a joke for a while. And they mentioned that the Indians were a joke for a while. And that was about it. They, they did talk about like major league and how that affected people, which that part was kind of cool, but they just kind of skimmed over like the Indian struggles. They talk about the nineties a lot, which was neat seeing all that stuff again. Um, but yeah, it wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot of Indians involved. I haven't seen it yet either, but I imagine that it's just a, it's just a super cut of the like misery montage that they show every time a Cleveland team makes the playoffs. Right, it's just an extended director's yeah. cut. Somewhat <laughs> yeah. related, like, because the Cubs look pretty darn good this year. And if the Cubs, or when the Cubs, win a World Series, if the Indians haven't already, uh, then the Indians will will adopt the mantle of the team that's gone the longest since winning the World Series. So do you like the... I mean, obviously we want them to win the World Series, but if they haven't, do you like that the Cubs at least have the longer streak? Or do you get sick and tired of people talking about the Cubs being such, you know, oh, God, the poor Cubs, when in fact the Cubs have crazy resources uh, and, you know, are a rich team? I I want to have no sympathy for the Cubs. So part of me, if the Indians aren't going to win, wants the Cubs to win just so people will shut up about the Cubs. But maybe that's just going to bring terrible attention to the Indians that I don't actually want, and I'm wishing for the wrong thing. No, I'm absolutely on board with you, Jason. I've said for years, like, the Cubs are, are one of my most hated teams, and people can't understand why I say that. But I, I've got you know I've got so many friends from Chicago who will constantly bring up the you know oh we haven't won a World Series in a hundred years, and I was like, dude, you guys lived through the Michael Jordan era. Like, <laughs> you cannot complain about anything sports related. There's just nothing there, and it is as sick as it would make me to see the Cubs win the World Series and to see their fans celebrate. I kind of just want to get it over with, rip off the Band-Aid, and then not have to hear about it anymore. Because, I don't know, I felt differently about the Red Sox. I feel like Red Sox fans didn't get obnoxious until they won the World Series. Whereas Cubs and then they got really obnoxious, but I think you're right. Whereas Cubs yeah, that's a good point. just been obnoxious for decades? I, I, I don't know. Yeah, um, screw all that. I want them to keep losing. <laughs> I like the idea of this team with huge resources signing everybody, then it just flops. Either in the season or in the playoffs, I don't care. I, I don't want them to Joe win. Madden lose too. <laughs> I don't mind Joe Madden, but I, I don't know. I just I, I I'm getting a little like I, you know I got a little burned out on like man, isn't he so hip and cool? And then the more he speaks out about like young guys need to stop flipping their bats, the the less I like him. Oh, I didn't know he was one of those. Yep, I was surprised I to hear that. that too. Those people. <laughs> Those people. The anti-bat flippers. That means he doesn't like Jose Ramirez, then. So I don't like him. Whatever, Joe Madden. <laughs> okay. Um, so our last thing here is going to be social media questions. So our first comes from Vincent Novella on Twitter. And he asks, how about making Lindor the team captain? Is he too young? And I don't think... Baseballs have baseball teams have team captains anymore. I tried to look it up. All it said was that it's not really common in the major leagues. But if the Indians, if that was still a common practice, sure, I'd make him the team captain. I think maybe either between him or I guess Kluber. I don't know yep. who would you guys who would Jason who would you make as the team captain? Uh, mentally somehow like Jason Kipnis feels like the team captain to me. Like if I were to think of who feels like it, um. Just the combination of mostly having been good and then having been on the team for a fairly long time. I mean, he and Brantley 
seemed like the, the two primary candidates to me. But because Kipnis is a little more uh, outgoing, he's on social media. He's kind of he's a little goofier in some of like the videos and stuff. And so I like kind of the loose vibe. Uh, Lindor certainly has the air about him of someone who's a leader and would be a captain. Um, I don't know that I'd make a guy a captain who hasn't even been on the roster for a year yet. Mostly, I'm fine with the Indians not having a captain. Yeah, I think so. I think Gomes would be another candidate, too. What about you, Phil? Yeah, Kipnis would have been my choice, too. Uh, but if you give it a year or two, I think Lindor will be right right up there with it. But, you know, I mean, that's I, I really don't know what a captain on a baseball team does. I don't know. It just makes me think of Derek Jeter. Any 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 association of baseball and captains makes me think of Derek Jeter, and that makes me angry. <laughs> Nobody so, wants that. I don't know. I'd, I'd rather just stay away from that altogether. But if I had to pick one, I'd say Kipnis now and Lindor in a couple of years. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Although for me, I don't get that feeling for some reason with Jason Kipnis. I mean, he's like he. I don't know. In my mind, he's like a second in command kind of guy who just gets everybody happy and excited to do stuff. But not really like the number one leader for some reason, which sounds really weirdly vague. But I don't know. <laughs> it might just be it might just be uh, a little bit of like the scrappy, scrappy, gritty guy, uh, yeah. you know, uh, archetype sort of invading my mind. <laughs> you know, guy who's always dirty. Uh, our last question here is from I the Tiger on Twitter. This is all Jason question here. When does Terry start looking at Joba as the seventh inning role instead of Zach? Zach throws hard, but subpar secondary stuff. So, Jason, your favorite player, Joba Chamberlain, when is he going to be the seventh inning guy? Well, if he keeps his ERA where it is, I mean, logically it makes sense to give him more important innings, but he's going to turn on us at some point. At some point, (laughs) he's going to rip off his Indians jersey to reveal the pinstripes (laughs) underneath it, and he's going to stab us all in the back. Just rather that not be in... An important inning of the game. <laughs> oh. That was some dramatic stuff. That was some red wedding stuff going on there. <laughs> that's that's where things are headed. <laughs> like, I think it's worth noting that his ERA is zero, but he's been brought in at like junk time every game. I don't think he's been in like a single high leverage situation really. He's last year what Zach McAllister was because I don't think he was in very many high leverage situations either. But I don't know. He like you said, he's going to allow runs at some point. And I don't think he's going to be a seventh inning guy. I still have more faith in Zach. Yeah, he only throws a fastball. That's why he's in the bullpen instead of being a starter. But just facing guys one time, I think he gets away with it more often than not. But with bullpen guys, you see a mess up once and that sticks in your head for a while. But I'm still fine with Zach. Even Sean, Cody Allen in the back too, I'm still okay with. What about you, Phil? I love Jabba Chamberlain. I, oh, I want to ride. No, no. <laughs> I should have vetted him first. I'm sorry. I want to ride this wave for as long as it lasts. <laughs> He's just one of those people that you look at him and you're like, how is this person a Major League Baseball player? <laughs> and I just, I, I love seeing people like that succeed. I loved CC Sabathia before he went to the Yankees. I loved David Wells, even though he was a Yankee. All these Yankee players. So you trying to tell us something? Okay, okay. Bartolo Colon. I love Bartolo <laughs> Colon. I yeah. just, I, it's, it's one of those things that makes baseball so unique among all other major sports to me is that you... It's the, it's the only sport where you'll find guys. It's like, really, that guy's a pro athlete? So I, I'm riding Jabba Chamberlain as, 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 as long as I can. <laughs> so if you guys want to meet up like halfway between Chicago and Vancouver and just like fight, I'll come and live stream it. I mean, one of you wears a Jabba jersey, one doesn't, and we'll just see where it goes. Refuse to fight over someone as inconsequential. <laughs> as the great Jabba Chamberlain. 
So I'm saving my baseball fist fights for a Carlos Santana battle at some point. You pick the location, Lucard. I'll pick the stipulations. <laughs> so that uh, is all of our social media questions. That is most of our show. Um, yeah. Anything coming up for you, Jason, in the end? In the end? In like the next week, I mean? <laughs> the end? What do you know that I don't? <laughs> this giant meteor. It's like... 20 miles away. For last days on Earth. <laughs> Pretty normal stuff coming up, but as the school year ends, I'm, I'm swamped with grading to do. So I've got uh, social studies projects and final stories and math tests. I've got a lot of grading to do. That That's, that's my life. <laughs> what about you, Phil? We've got a long weekend up here in Canada, so I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, what do you got a long weekend for? What are, you sl- what are you slacker Canadians getting a long weekend for? <laughs> would it be bad if I said, I don't know? <laughs> no, that would be great. That's the best reason for a long weekend. It would it's, be bad if I, didn't, if I knew any of why we ever have long weekends. <laughs> I know barely any of them. Queen Victoria's birthday. Oh. You get so, off for a birthday? Well, I guess we do too. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's the only time of the year that I celebrate monarchy. Just because you get a day off. Yeah, so... Well, got a day off, and other than that, it's 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 much needed. Uh, you know, work work has been all kinds of crazy lately. I'm not going to get into the details of transportation planning because I don't want to put anybody to sleep. It's late enough there. But uh, yeah, no, nothing nothing exciting. I got all my excitement out of the way last month. Yeah, that makes sense. And on the Let's Go Tribe front, we're doing congratulations well on that excitement. By the way, Phil's referring to his oh. wedding. Oh yeah, of course I forgot about that. Congrats. Yeah, thanks. And we moved. So there was a lot of stuff going on. Oh, and you, you mentioned it was in Cleveland. Are you from Cleveland and you went back there to get married? or? Yeah, that's right. We oh, cool. uh, had all my family still back in Cleveland, and my wife's family traveled out there. It was uh, it was great. I don't know if either of you have ever been to the uh, the arcade downtown. Um, um, it's a great old spot. It was like built in the 1890s. Uh, really cool architecture. So we did it there. Lots of fun. Great What's pictures. Great? Cool. Where'd you move to? What's your exact address and your social security number, <laughs> credit card number? Uh, <laughs> I need to buy a boat, is what I'm saying. Can you just give me all this stuff? Yeah, yeah, I'll uh, I'll send it send it right along. <laughs> Great. Okay, so that is our show. Uh, thank you for watching. Don't forget to fo- or listening, I guess. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, all that good stuff. We're doing more live streams and all that, and that's it. 